Well, I don't know about you, but Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of the year. This year it's going to be a little different, but I'm still looking forward to it. And we, we've been through a tough year. It's not over yet, but we have a lot to be thankful for. So much to be thankful for. And as Ed was praying, we have a very, very bright future. There may be some clouds in the near future, on the horizon, but beyond them, our future is brighter than the sun. You know, it's been said that the optimist sees the glass as half empty. Excuse me, half full. (laughs) Keeping myself on my toes. The optimist sees the glass as half full, and the pessimist sees it as half empty. My dad one day said to me, you know what the engineer sees the glass as? I hadn't heard that one before. He said, the engineer sees the glass as being designed two times bigger than necessary. So today, we're going to be looking, as we start, at a story where you can kind of see it one way or the other, either a good thing or a bad thing, or or I guess a mixture of both. And we're looking at the story of the ten lepers. So in this story, the glass is either one-tenth full or nine-tenths empty, depending on how you look at it. And I've titled the sermon today, In Gratitude. Because the reality of our lives is we get to decide whether we live a life in gratitude to God or whether our lives are characterized by ingratitude. We get to decide. We get to decide. So let's open up our Bible whether electronic or paper. Open up to Luke chapter 17. And we'll look starting in verse 11. I'm reading out of the New King James translation this morning, but whatever translation you have is perfect and is the one you should be using today. Luke 17 and verse 11. The Bible there says, And now it happened... As he went to where? To Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. This is now at the end of Jesus' life. He's heading towards Jerusalem. This is his last trip to Jerusalem. But it's it's a little bit curious the direction he's heading when he's going to Jerusalem. Previously, Not too long ago, he had raised Lazarus from the grave. Lazarus was living about 20 miles from Jerusalem. Now he's north of that. So he's actually headed north to Samaria. Samaria geographically was north of Jerusalem uh, and a little bit west as well. And Galilee was even further north than Samaria. So he's passing through the midst or, or perhaps Some have read it in between kind of the boundary area of Samaria and Galilee. After this, two chapters later in Luke chapter 19, he's going to meet Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, as you recall, lived in Jericho. Jericho was a little bit northeast of Jerusalem. And so some people have said, Jesus is on a circuit. He's on a uh, northbound arc, and he's going to round, cross over the River Jordan, if he hasn't already by this point, 
and come back down uh, through Jericho and eventually make his way to Jerusalem. It's kind of like sometimes when I fly home to Washington, I have to fly through Denver. And I love Colorado, but when I'm headed to Washington, I don't want to go to Denver. Uh, but Jesus had, he had a purpose for his travels. Or, or for us, sometimes we have to fly to L.A. before you can fly north, or Houston. I hate doing that. I just want to go straight there. But Jesus, this wasn't an inconvenience. He could have gone south, but he had some more missions that God had him on. So he's going to Jerusalem, but he's taking, it would seem, the long route there. So Luke 17, verse 11, tells us he was in the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And you remember the Samaritans and the Jews did not like each other. So already we kind of have this in our mind. And then we get to verse 12 and it says, Then as he entered a certain village, unnamed to us, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And as you recall, leprosy was this horrible disease that nobody wanted to catch because it was essentially a fatal skin condition. And, and probably leprosy, the term, was kind of an umbrella under which several different skin conditions, the really bad ones, uh, were gathered. But you didn't want any of them. And because of the, the law of Moses, the instructions God had given through Moses, people who had that kind of illness had to stay away. They were socially distancing. The Bible says there in verse 12, they stood afar off, quite some ways away. Verse 13, and they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They call him Master, and Luke uses a unique Greek word uh, for Master, epistata. Uh, it's a combination of the, the preposition epi, which is on, in, or above, and probably the root word histemi, which means to stand. So an epistata is one who stands above, one who is an overseer, somebody who is a superintendent. They recognize Jesus, he's not like us, he's above us. He's our supervisor, our overseer. He's our superintendent, he's our master. They say, master, have mercy on us. Have you ever asked Jesus for mercy? Have you ever received mercy when you didn't even ask for it from God? Probably a lot more than we realize. I was listening to a pastor this week and he said, if, I, if God treated me the way I treat other people, he said, I'd be in hell right now. Not that we believe in a current hell, but that was his understanding. In other words, God is so much more merciful than we are to others. It's because of his mercy that we're even alive and instead of being struck down because of our sins. They say, Master, have mercy on us. And how could you not? Looking at them, probably wearing tattered and torn clothing, faces disfigured, social outcasts, forced to live outside of the city, they banded together men who had drawn a bad straw in life, now faced to deal with 
this horrible disease. Jesus, unlike other times, he doesn't touch them. He's touched lepers previously, but this time he just gives them some instructions. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go, show yourselves to the priest. God had instructed in the Old Testament, the priests were kind of the, the um, they weren't medical professionals, but they were given instructions to, to diagnose whether somebody was safe to be back in the community again. Jesus just said, go. And it's noteworthy that he didn't first say, you're healed. Now go. He didn't say, leprosy is gone in the name of me. It's gone. And now go show yourself. He just said, go on to the priest. They were called to exercise faith that they would be healed. And so the Bible says, and so it was as they went, they were cleansed. It wasn't a, a kind of a hang around and see what happens, a wait and see approach. Jesus said, go. And all 10 of those men had faith to be healed. And so they started walking. Now, I'm not sure if the nearest priest was only in Jerusalem or if there was somebody that was closer by. And I don't know if they, the further they got, the more healed they got, or if it was fairly quick. But the Bible says, as they went, they were cleansed. You know, sometimes we're praying to God, asking him for strength or for various blessings. Sometimes we need to step out in faith. We may not have the strength that we need for tomorrow's trial yet, but as we go, stepping forward, holding on to Jesus, he'll give us the strength we need today and then tomorrow when we get to it, he'll give us the strength that we need then. As they were preparing to carry the ark across the river Jordan, it wasn't until they stepped that the waters started to part. So these men had faith and they moved forward and they were cleansed. Verse 15, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. He fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And then a little side note. It says, And he was a Samaritan. It would seem to apply, imply that the other nine were Jews. They were part of the ethnic and religious majority. And he was a minority. So Jesus answered and said to him, We're not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were they not, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Ten were cleansed, only one returned. Makes you kind of curious, why didn't the nine come back? Why didn't they take the time to return? One author wrote nine different suggested reasons for why they didn't return. One waited to see if the cure was real, they wrote. 
One waited to see if it would last. One said, oh, I'll see Jesus later. One decided he never had actually had leprosy. One said, well, he would have gotten well anyways. One gave the glory to the priests. One said, well, Jesus didn't actually do anything. One said, any rabbi could have done that. And the last one said, well, I was really already much improved. We don't know their reasons for why they didn't return. We're not sure. But why isn't, that, why isn't it that we sometimes uh, fail? Why is it that we fail to give God thanks? Why don't we give him the thanks that he deserves? Why is it that we, instead of being in a state of gratitude, we are ungrateful, filled with ingratitude? I think a lot of times we just get so preoccupied. Our lives are busy. We just forget. Those guys were so excited about the blessing that they forgot about the blessor. They were just so happy to be healed that they didn't even think about the one who had healed them. Boy, it's easy when we find ourselves in a jam to be praying earnestly, God, please help me, please heal me. And then God gets us out of the jam and we forget. We forget. I read an awesome poem this week and I'm, I'm going to read it to you. I have not committed it to memory. <laughs> so I'll read it here. It's about blessings that we take for granted. Often we just take the goodness of God and the goodness of the life that we have been allowed to live for granted. This poem caused me to think this week. Today upon a bus I saw a lovely maid with golden hair. I envied her. She was so pretty. And how I wished I were so fair. When suddenly as she arose to leave, I saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one foot and wore a crutch. But as she passed, a smile. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two feet. The world is mine. And when I stopped to buy some sweets, the lad who served me had such charm. He seemed to radiate such cheer. His manner was so kind, so warm. I said, it's nice to deal with you. Such courtesy I seldom find. He turned and said, oh, thank you, sir. And then I saw that he was blind. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes. The world is mine. And then when walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play. It seemed he did not know what to do. I stopped a moment, and then I said, Why don't you join the others, dear? He looked ahead without a word, and then I realized he could not hear. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two ears. The world is mine. With feet to take me where I'd go, with eyes to see the sunsets glow, with ears to hear what I would know, I am indeed blessed. The world is mine, O oh God, forgive me when I whine. No matter who we are, there's always something that we can be grateful for. Is it possible that we 
don't express to, uh, to God our thanks because we've taken for granted the blessings that we have. I mean, you're listening to me right now. Your ears are working. You have technology, access to technology to be able to see what's going on right now. You aren't fleeing for your life or afraid that you'll be arrested for being a Christian. We have so many blessings. Why don't we thank God like we should? Well, perhaps it's simply out of lack of habit. We haven't developed the habit of doing it. And you know, it's interesting. If people don't give thanks quickly, they often don't do it at all. So be quick to thank the people in your life. Don't put it off for another day. Call that person up, thank them. Speak a word. Uh, write that thank you card quickly. Oh, thank you cards are like the bane of my existence. Simple, but difficult. <laughs> I was so thankful after our marriage to have my wonderful wife, who, who didn't do them all. I didn't make her do all the thank you cards for our wedding gift. But while we were on the plane to our honeymoon destination, pull out that tray table, Take a little time, write some thank you notes. There was only one we couldn't write because the gift didn't have any sort of name attached to it. So if you gave us those towels, thank you. They were navy colored, as I recall. We're grateful. Maybe sometimes we don't thank God because of lack of awareness. Just we don't realize how much he really does. You know, there are a lot of people in our lives that do a lot of things for us. People in our church, people at our school. Maybe things that your parents do for you, kids. Um, I'm thankful for all that the tech guys do. Ken, Brian, Norman, and others. You guys do a lot. Thanks for what you do. Lack of awareness. You know, I read something in the book Desire of Ages. On this topic, she, uh, Ellen White wrote this. She said, When the ten lepers came to Jesus for healing, he bade them to go and show themselves to the priest. On the way, they were cleansed, but only one returned to give him glory. The others went their way, forgetting that they had been made whole, that he had made them whole. How many today are still doing the same thing? The Lord works continually to benefit mankind. He is ever impairing, uh, imparting his bounties, he raises the sick beds uh, from languishing. He delivers men from peril which they do not see. He commissions heavenly angels to save them from calamity, to guard them from, quote, the pestilence that walks in the darkness and the destruction that wasteth at noonday. But their hearts are unimpressed. He has given all them the riches of heaven to redeem them, but yet they are unmindful of his great love. By their ingratitude, they close their hearts against the grace of God. She continues, It's for our benefit to keep every gift of God fresh in our memory. Thus, faith is strengthened to claim and receive more and more. There is great encouragement, greater encouragement for us in the least blessing that we ourselves receive from God than in all the accounts that we can read of the faith and experience of others. When God does something for you, write it down. Record a video. Tell somebody. Find a way to be able to remember it later. 
The soul that responds to the grace of God shall be like a watered garden. His health shall spring forth speedily. His light shall rise in obscurity. And the glory of the Lord shall be seen upon him. Then let us remember the loving kindness of the Lord and the the multitude of his tender mercies. Like the people of Israel, let us set up our stones of witness and inscribe upon them the precious story of what God has done for us. And as we review his dealings with us in our pilgrimage, let us, out of the hearts melted by gratitude, declare, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation, as David wrote, and call upon the name of the Lord. I will put, pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. God is continually doing stuff for us, saving us from unknown dangers, helping us in so many ways. Is your heart grateful? Are you actively trying to remember the things that he's done for us? There will come days, and maybe you're living in those days right now, where you're going to need to remember how good God has been to you. So make it practical. Write it down. Find a way to record it. Why don't we thank God for how we should? Well, a lot of different reasons. We forget. We we focus on the blessing rather than the blessor. Uh, perhaps another reason is we have unmet expectations. Maybe we were praying for one thing and God answered our prayer in a different way and we're not thankful because it wasn't how we wanted it. The children of Israel in the wilderness, they needed food. What did God pro- provide? What is it? Manna, six days a week and on the, on the sixth day a double portion that lasted miraculously to the seventh day. Every single day, God was working a miracle for them. Yet what did they do? Didn't meet their expectations. They wanted quail. Give me some quail, God. Finally, they got what they asked for, and they realized, whoa, we should have just been thankful for what we had. Maybe we're we're too filled with pride. If, if we're thanking God all the time, then what is that saying about us? That we don't, we're not the ones who did these things? And of course, God gives us strength. He gives us smarts. He gives us the ability to make wealth and to, to do things. But he's the source of it all. Don't let pride and self-sufficiency keep you from recognizing who and what the source of our blessings is. But I'd like to suggest one final reason why sometimes we don't thank God how we should. I think a major reason that we don't express our thanks to God is because of self-idolatry. Simply put, we're selfish people focused on ourselves, not others. And I want you to see this actually from from Romans. This is our last scripture. Romans chapter 1. What happens to us when our lives become so focused on ourselves and our own pleasure? We used that word hedonism earlier this summer. Just out to fulfill the pleasures of our life. And honestly, as I've reflected on on why I like Thanksgiving, it's often because it's just about pleasing me. Not because it's about a day to really give thanks. 
to our God who deserves it. So Romans chapter 1, verse 18, talking about basically the unrighteous, the, those who, who chose not to walk with God. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because of what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. God has been revealing himself to the world, he says, so that they are without excuse. So here are people who've had God revealed to them, but they've ignored it, are without excuse. 21, now, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, and nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew God, but they chose not to recognize God, and they chose not to thank God, and in response, their hearts grew even darker. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to the uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped the Creator, worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. One part of that, one part of that selfish, self-focused, self-worship lifestyle is characterized by a lack of thankfulness to God. Because when we put ourselves on the throne of our heart, our own interests as the chief good in our life, and we start to worship creatures rather than our Creator, we become less and less thankful to God for His blessings. It's extreme. But it happens, and we see it everywhere in our world. Why thank God when we're the ones who have made Babylon? Is this not great Babylon, which I have built? Why thank God for what I have when I'm the one who has created my little empire? John Piper, a Christian theologian, had some powerful words on this topic. I normally don't read this much from, uh, from other people's words, but this, he just said it so good. He said it like this. And there's a good reason that human uh, beings by nature do not want to magnify God with thanksgiving or glorify him as their benefactor. The reason is that it detracts from their own glory. And all people by nature love their own glory more than they love the glory of God. At the root of all ingratitude is the love of one's own greatness. For genuine gratitude admits that we are beneficiaries of an unearned bequest. We are cripples leaning on the cross-shaped crutch of Jesus Christ. We are paralytics living minute by minute in the iron lung of God's mercy. We are children asleep in heaven's stroller. The natural person, apart from God's saving grace, hates to think of himself in these images unworthy beneficiary, cripple, paralytic, child. They rob him of his glory by giving it all to God. 
Therefore, while a man loves his own glory, he prizes his own self-sufficiency. And he hates to think of himself as sin-sick and helpless. He will never feel genuine gratitude to the true God and so never magnify God as he ought, but only himself. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but the sick. I came to call the righteous. I came not, excuse me, to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus did not come to minister to those who insist they are well. He demands something great, that we admit we are not great. This is bad news to the arrogant, but words of honey to those who have given up the charade of self-sufficiency and are seeking God. It's pretty heavy words. Are we letting our own self-greatness get in the way of us praising God of his greatness? So on this Sabbath before Thanksgiving, on this day before we celebrate a day of thanks, I ask you the question, who are you going to be? We saw the majority, interestingly enough, those who were descendants of Abraham. Maybe they had their own self-sufficiency going on. But those nine it didn't return and give thanks. Are you going to be one of them or are you going to be like that one? The social outcast, the religious and ethnic minority who came back to truly thank Jesus. You get to decide whether you're going to live in ingratitude or whether your life will be characterized. Whether you live in a life of gratitude or whether you're characterized by ingratitude. Emma Bombeck wrote about an eight-year-old girl who was suffering from a horrible cancer. It had spread into her nervous system. And when the little girl was asked what she wanted for her birthday, she thought long and hard, and finally just, she just said, I don't know. I have two sticker books and a Cabbage Patch doll. I have everything. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? So much to be grateful for. God's salvation. Far better than stickers and a Cabbage Patch doll, as good as those things are. We have that blessed assurance of his salvation. Promised before the foundation of the world, made reality at the cross. And if we receive it into our lives, applied to our record, written in the books of heaven. You can be thankful this week, this day. Why not take some time today? In your mind or on paper, start on a list. Think back through this tough year and think about the good things that God has done in spite of the challenges. Let's be people of gratitude. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, eternity is not long enough for us to truly thank you 
for all that you've done for us. Lord, each day, help us to culture that sense of gratitude so that day by day we can be people uh, that point to your goodness and not try to create and point to our own. Our only goodness is in you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for dying on that cross, for giving us the life that you lived in exchange for the life that we have have lived, for giving us the, the eternal life that you deserve and that you have in exchange for the eternal death that we deserve. We just say thank you, thank you, thank you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Live thankfully this week. And we'll see you when we see you.